Welcome to Flow with Armand Asadi. Greetings, greetings, my beautiful crazy people. Um, and you know when I say crazy, I mean it in the most flattering of ways. I view myself as crazy. I think that uh, being weird and different is one of the rarest things in the world today. That is not what we're going to be talking about, but it just kind of came out, so I thought I would say I thought I would say that. But really, truly, I mean, life is designed so much, society is designed so much for just sort of picking an archetype and fitting right into it and identifying a tribe and a and a group of people with an ideology to to sort of just jump right into and belong to. And then ultimately you wake up one day and you've lost yourself. And I think today in this day and age, creativity, true uh, sort of expression of yourself without giving a fuck is very, very, very rare. And so when I say the word crazy to people or nut job or lunatic, I really mean it with like absolute love and admiration because it's such a rare thing these days. You know what else has been on my mind that is a very rare thing these days is um, happiness. And what I wanted to explore in this episode today was, first of all, it's been a while since we've talked. Hi, how are you? It's been a while since we've talked and I thought this is one of the things that I've been sort of pondering and sitting with and observing for a while now. So I thought I would take some time to unpack this. And really what this is, is an epidemic of unhappiness. I believe that in the West in particular, but uh, more than anywhere, probably uh, in the United States of America, which is where I live and uh, am born and raised, there is an incredible epidemic of an unhappiness that has really uh, taken uh, and achieved new heights over these last, I would say, over this last decade, but in particular over the last five years. And this is something that the pandemic has obviously not helped. There are existential external factors here to why I believe people are unhappier than they've ever been. But I believe that most of the factors and, and technology is is absolutely another one. As you know, I am a huge fan uh, of technology. I believe it's, it's mostly good and incredible and I'm a techno optimist and every day I am just astounded by the things that technology can do for me on that little magic screen of mine uh, that I carry around in my pocket. But on the other side of that coin, uh, you know, these tools, uh, the fire can cook your food or it can burn down a village and technology is very similar. And one of the things that technology has caused that uh, I don't need to go into great depth into, there are many great thinkers who've dedicated a decade to this or their lives to it, um, is to unpack the effects of social media on our minds and on our emotions and on our mental state of being. And so that is another sort of existential uh, factor. But I believe that at the root, what we're ultimately dealing with is is an internal one. And um, to sum it up and really oversimplify it, I believe that it comes down to a lack of gratitude and perspective. So what do I mean by that? When you live in a place like the United States, things are too good. You know, one of the reasons that I travel so much uh, beyond the joy that it gives me and the flow that it brings into my life and it puts me in a state of just like awe is that it gives me perspective. Going and seeing how difficult it is for some people to do the basic things that I have access to on a daily basis immediately shifts my perspective. And with this change in perspective comes a sort of up-leveling of gratitude. 
And ultimately, I think that what we lack, what we don't realize, at least we don't realize it enough on a daily basis, is how good things are. And again, we go back to these external factors of the news and social media and the amount of information flowing in our direction. We have too much of it. And the old saying, which uh, we all know, if it bleeds, it leads, which is a media news saying, means that they're always going to lead with the most negative, most alarming, most extreme piece of news. So if that's true, that means that all that happens when you have an expanded view and multiple outlets of this news is you're inundated with more and more of that on a daily basis. Okay, so then you start to believe and perceive that First of all, your baseline attitude becomes one of like fear, um, just having a sense of uneasiness of how things are. And you begin to believe that the world is not great and the world is ending. And you and I could sit and talk about this for hours. We know that. We know that this is a factor that we uh, has become a daily part of our lives, like this this inundated uh, news media sort of circulation of bad shit. And this is also why we just simply don't trust the media anymore. Uh, The trust of the news in general is at an all-time low for Americans. And that is also something very important to look at. So all that is true. But the real deal here is that things are actually really, really incredible. And without getting into too much of a nuance around this, There are also people on that side of the aisle that have dedicated their lives to proving how good the world is. And then every time they come out with one of these books or TED Talks to kind of show us that crime is down, um, that access to the internet is up, access to uh, housing is up, homelessness is down, crime and, you know, disease is down, people are living longer than ever. Every time someone tries to, to piece that together, Uh, someone comes out with a counter argument that tries to completely disprove the whole thing. I am not interested in this moment in this episode of breaking down on a fundamental level and looking at the data and saying, okay, from a meta level analysis, who's really right here? I'm not interested in that either right now as well. What I am interested in is that it is astoundingly clear that 50 years ago, life was much harder than it is today, and that if you take life in the United States or the Western world, so you know pretty much all of Europe, uh, America, South America, uh, Australia, New Zealand, all these places, life is really, really good compared to other parts of the world, okay? That's true. If you argue that, then you're just a lunatic and not in the best sense of the word this time. <laughs> so that said, we can establish just a simple baseline here, just a very simple macro level baseline. Things are good and we don't realize it. One of the things that helps to begin to take the steps to personally end this epidemic of unhappiness is to build gratitude into your life. Now, you know, I I posted this before, uh, that gratitude is not just some pop culture meme here. In fact, let me pull up what I said on my Instagram because it just kind of hit me all of a sudden one day on Thanksgiving. And I was like, yeah, this is true. Like, let me just write this. It's very simple. It was a simple tweet. It says, gratitude is not a pop psychology nicety. It is a prerequisite to a long, stable, abundant life. It is a behavioral hedge against the darkness of depression, anxiety, and the like. 
As Rumi said, gratitude is the wine for the soul. Go on, get drunk. Happy Thanksgiving, friends. Is how I signed off. And I uh, had to throw in the Rumi, obviously, um, for the Persian uh, Persian rep right there. But the, the reality is that this is not something we can just take for granted as a pop psychology nicety. This is not just something that, and sure, it is, uh, it has become this thing that is trite and uh, sort of overused platitude of gratitude, but that doesn't make it less important. It is fundamental to our existence to build gratitude into our lives. Without it, we are aimless drifters suffering in cycles of depression, anxiety, and, and whatever else might come our way. So how do you begin to take those steps of building gratitude in? One thing that helps me and why I uh, am, have this philosophical dis- disposition, which by the way, is only partly innate, it's only partly me and of the self, and the other part of it is habit. It's a muscle that I've developed. And part of the reason I've done that and built this philosophical disposition is that when you think philosophically, you can't help but think in a bigger picture. You have a wider vantage point. Your perspective on life doesn't focus on the micro. You zoom out to look at the bigger picture of things. Um, something that also accomplishes this is something that most of us in our lives will probably never experience, but it's going to space. The overview effect is what we call the effect that astronauts first experience when they sort of uh, exit our atmosphere and look back at planet Earth. They can't help but fall to their knees if they could, sitting up there in space, (laughs) floating around, falling to their knees in awe and gratitude and bliss, just completely astounded at what they are seeing. I mean, literally imagine being able to do that. Imagine being in this little capsule, floating in space, looking back at the planet, all the people you've ever known in your life, all the stories, all the drama, all the wars, all the everything you've ever known on that one planet, and you're viewing it from that level, from that perspective. Wow, like, holy fuck. No wonder they're having these like cataclysmic mind-bending experiences. And they come back and the overview effect, ultimately, what does this do? They realize that the borders we've drawn, the ideas of race and ethnicity, the ideas of what is mine and what is yours, all of this is insane. And they come back with a completely different perspective on life and they can't help but to be more grateful. They can't help but to be more united in their thinking, to have more of a sort of uh, macro unifying, sort of like someone who takes some mushrooms and trips out and realizes I am the tree and the tree is me. It's, It's kind of the same deal, but without psychedelics. And so ultimately what you have is a person who begins to remove the stories that have created unhappiness in their lives and they have no choice but to be affect you know uh, they have no choice but to be grateful and ultimately what happens when you're grateful you can't be grateful and suffer at the same time it is impossible i mean think about this for a second for yourself if you right now just shifted into a perspective of gratitude for what you have and who you are and and you didn't even have to love yourself but you were like yeah i like me man like i'm i'm not bad like i'm cool i'm trying my best i'm doing good like i i'm really just doing my best here with everything that i've got and everything that i've been through and life starts from moment to moment and it doesn't matter what i've gone through or who i am or traumas or all of this stuff which by the way i'm going to have to come back to you on this whole 
trauma thing because my perspective on that has been changing lately as well. I'll drop a little a little uh, morsel here on uh, Adlerian um, psychology, which is something I'll come back to, especially as someone who studied Jung. Uh, this is this is different for me, but you can't help it. You have that experience, and you go, "Okay, I'm going to be." grateful. And when you're grateful, you can't suffer. All the stories, all the drama, all the depression and anxiety, it all just kind of floats away. Now, does it float away permanently? No. And that's why we have to build these things that are essentially habits. So here's another example and another way that this all could become a habit to begin to end this sort of epidemic of unhappiness. You're walking down the street, I'm sure you've had this experience and uh, you see this guy or lady, but it's typically for some reason, it's like this, it's like, it's like this hippie type type of guy, or it's not even always a hippie, but it's just some type of guy. Maybe it's a tradesperson, you know, a contractor, a painter, or they're just like, uh, I mean, I've even seen like so many examples of this type of person, right? Like guy in a suit or you just never know when you see it. It could be a janitor. It could be anybody. And they're just this happy-go-lucky person. You know it when you see it. Like they're walking down the street or they pass you down the hallway and they're smiling and they're like, good day, sir. How are you? And you know, it's like, whoa, what's this? <laughs> what the hell is this person smoking? Like why? What, what makes them, what gives them the right to be so happy? How did they do that? How did they get there? The happy-go-lucky person. What does the happy-go-lucky person know? What is it that they've done? Here's what I believe it comes down to. The happy-go-lucky person, what is it often something they say as well? There's such a deep hint in this. So every time I see somebody like that, I always engage them because I find these people really fascinating. I engage them and I'm like, what's up? Like, what's your deal? How's your day? What's going on? And they go... My man, I'm just happy. A day above ground is a good day. I'm happy to be alive. Life is beautiful. And it's like, huh, okay. Like this person's foundational perspective is that if I wake up today, I won life. Interesting. So if all you had to do was wake up and be alive and today was a win, how could you not be grateful? So of course this person is happy-go-lucky because he's basically telling you a day above ground is a good day. He's grateful. He's tuned in to the fact that he exists. But on the other side of being grateful for the fact that you exist is taking the time to actually become aware of the fact that you could not exist. It's actually a meditation on mortality. Again, something that great philosophers do so well. Ultimately, you should know this, uh, I believe, you, you know, we, we should all acknowledge this, that many of the great teachings of our time from Christianity to Judaism and Islam, the Abrahamic religions, all the way to uh, even just like uh, polytheistic religions and, and beliefs, all the way to Buddhism, especially in particular Buddhism and philosophy, is ultimately a meditation on life and death, how to live well and how to die well, how to be prepared for that time. That's literally what most of this all comes down to because for all we, we, we don't know anything. And so the best we can do is exist 
to the best degree possible to reach and reach intentionally for our highest potential to take on responsibility and live a life well lived. And to do that, you cannot ignore the fact that you are mortal. You cannot ignore that. You cannot push it into the future, but we all do. So many of us do. And what happens with these people who don't do that, who take the time to realize it, to meditate on it, to uh, uh, acknowledge it, they tend to be happier than others. That's just perhaps my anecdotal observation, but this is something that I've dedicated most of my life to, and this is a thesis that I'm building, and I believe that those that are more aware and acknowledge existence itself tend to be happier, tend to be more grateful, tend to be more at peace than others. So what does that leave what does that leave us with? Zoom out, let go of the stories, build the overview effect into your life and into your perspective and wake up every day and acknowledge that you are alive, that you are well, that you opened your eyes and smile at the fact that you are alive and ponder your mortality from time to time and be grateful because every single moment of this life is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a dream. That's literally all it is. This whole thing is an incredible, incredible dream. And, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very touching to think about these things. Uh, it really hits me and, uh, I'm incredibly grateful and I'm grateful for you and I appreciate your time listening and uh, to many more, to many more of these conversations and episodes. Until next time, got some more news coming, some really exciting stuff ahead. Um, that should do it. That's a wrap. Peace, one love. Talk soon.